What's up, brand builder? Stephen Horahan here on the Brandmaster Podcast, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Aaron Ahuvia, a leading academic authority on non-interpersonal love, and one of the top 20 most influential scientists studying consumer behavior in the U.S. Now, Dr. Ahuvia's groundbreaking research has been shaping our understanding of love in the consumer context for over two decades now, and that's ever since he published his seminal study on Love It towards a unifying theory of love across diverse love objects. His work has been featured in major publications and media outlets from the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal to the Oprah Winfrey Show. With a career spanning multiple prestigious institutions, including the University of Michigan and Northwestern's Kellogg Graduate School of Management, Dr. Ahuvia has been instrumental in exploring the intersection of love and commerce and its implications for brand relationships. And in our conversation today, we delve into how user experience influences brand love, strategies to bridge the gap from objectification to human connection, and ways to create super fans for your brand through passion. So if you're interested in understanding how to foster deeper connections with your customers, you want to gain insights from a leading expert in the field of consumer love and happiness, then stick around for this episode of the Brandmaster Podcast. Now, before we dive into the episode, I want to take a second to show some appreciation. I appreciate every single one of our listeners, but I have a soft spot for listeners who share the love. A shout out to Golf Mom 75 from the US. Foundational, inspirational, informative. I binged the entire podcast episode 1 to 181 in two weeks. These bite-sized episodes are jam-packed with education, insights, and actionable content, giving you and your journey to branding quick wins and clear direction. I appreciate the value the interviews bring as well. Stephen does an amazing job bringing what could be considered a fuzzy concept, branding into sharp focus. I learned more from this podcast than I did months of research online. Thank you for bringing your knowledge and wisdom to the table to share. If you want to share the love and possibly get a shout out on the podcast, please take a couple of minutes to leave a review on your favorite platform. Welcome to the Brandmaster Podcast, show specialized in helping branding professionals and entrepreneurs to build brands using strategy, psychology, and creative thinking. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brandmaster Podcast. And I'm absolutely delighted to have on the show with me today, Aaron Ahuvia. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, to join us today. And I'm looking forward to getting stuck into your mode of genius and everything that's involved in that. Stefan, thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, <laughs> so it's Stephen, and we actually hit record two seconds ago because I butchered Aaron's surname. So I'm going to let you away with that one. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, look, look. You're in a, an area that I find absolutely fascinating. Um, you talk about how our passions connect us and make us who we are. And I talk about this very, very thing in relation to branding and brand building, because at the end of the day, we're trying to connect a thing, which is a business, which you know is an inanimate uh, animated thing to, to a group of people and make that business more appealing. Before we kind of get into the weeds of what you do so well, why don't you give us a, a quick background as to how you ended up in this field in the first place and got to where you are? Yeah, so uh, I was uh, in a PhD program, in the PhD program at Northwestern University Kellogg School of Business in mm -hmm. marketing. And I was single at the time and was having a class from a professor that some people 
in branding may have heard of Professor Philip Kotler, who's pretty well known. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And he was uh, explaining how everything is marketing in his view. Like, you know, if you're a religion, you're marketing yourself to new converts. If you're a politician, you're marketing yourself to voters. And if you're dating, you're marketing yourself to the person that you're dating with. Everything is marketing. Uh, I Being single, I thought this was way more interesting than real marketing and asked him if I could do a term paper on dating as marketing. And he's a very broad-minded guy. Um, and he said, of course. And not only that, there's this uh, Professor Mara Edelman in the communications department who has this data on a dating service. And this was just before the internet got started and mm -hmm. dating services as a cultural phenomenon were just starting to catch on. Uh, so I went and talked to her and we became real collaborators. We wrote four major papers on sort of dating services as businesses and also in terms of psychology it became and also advertising because it's personal advertising you have to like you hey he was Kyler was right you have to write this ad and that advertisement needs to appeal to people so there was you know there's, <laughs> there was a lot of that going on there a so product description yeah and i it was fun i ended up on the um oprah winfrey show talking about dating services and singles ads uh, but then uh, some years later I needed to think about the job market as a marketing professor. And I knew that if I was the dating services professor, I would never get a good job. So I had to think of something else. But I'd spent years studying the psychology of interpersonal love and attraction in order to understand how dating services were supposed to work. So I got this idea, like, okay, you know, people always talk about loving products and loving brands, but do they really? I mean, is that actually love literally because we use words like we say i'm starving when we really mean i'm hungry so there's <laughs> you know maybe it's just like that it's just an exaggeration or or maybe it's not so i started to look into this and i did a, a big research project on it and it turned out that while of course people had looked at why consumers are attracted to certain products and psychologists had looked at why people fall in love with other people nobody had taken the theory and literature from the psychology of how people fall in love with people and yet applied it to maybe there's something there about why we're attracted to brands and products and mm. sort of made that transfer. So I was actually the first person to do any real serious empirical work in this area. And then uh, some years later with Barbara Carroll, I wrote, uh, wrote a paper called Brand Love that the term had existed before, but it really wasn't in use. And that kicked off the whole sort of interest in brand love from at a managerial level. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really pleased to say I put brand love into the Google Scholar and searched for articles, scholarly articles on the topic. I came up with 14,000 articles on at least talking about brand love, which is, you know, a, a long way from the one article I wrote many, many years ago starting this stuff. And mm -hmm. so I've stayed involved with it and really tried to stay at the forefront of the issues uh, the whole time. And that's kind of where I got to where I am now. The book that we'll, we'll, we can talk about a little bit, um, the things we love, how our passions connect us and make us who we are. Uh, that book is written for general readers. So it's it's for people who are not necessarily academics to explain stuff. Um, but it compiles not just my work for 30 years, 
but what I really consider all the best work. And it creates a new theory in right. I worked on the book for 10 years. Mm. Uh, and in writing the book, I changed my mind and came up with a new theory of what's really happening, which is quite different from where I started out. Mm. And I, I know at least in America, the idea of someone saying they were wrong and they changed their mind is sort of an anathema to a lot of people. But <laughs> as an academic, I, I take it as a point of pride. Mm. And new data came in, new science came in. And there's a lot that can help us understand brand managers' experiences. Mm. Because brand, the common experience I hear from brand managers, and I've talked to people at a lot of different companies, uh, what I often hear is, look, we want deeper connections with our customers. We want more brand loyalty. We want pricing power. We want people to care enough about our product that they'll pay a premium for this product. We want people to be brand evangelists and go online and advocate for our brand. We want all those good things. Um, we keep trying to make our product better. But that doesn't seem to actually convert into the love. And then we keep trying to do this and that. We spend money on this and that. And it doesn't really seem to move the needle on brand love um, or whatever you want to call it, creating super friends, fans, brand involvement, brand enthusiasm. There's a million words for it. It's all the same thing. You know, it doesn't create that kind of higher level involvement. And what I think I've figured out is why that's why it's not working and what you can do about it. So I'm happy to really get into the 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 weeds about all that. And I love like this is this is my area that I would say is because I've explored many avenues of branding. Um and it, it's it's something that kind of it's something that gets me going. Um, you know, I'm I I I love piecing together my own perspectives, not just reading somebody else's perspective and then you know, regurgitating that as gospel. I take from different sources and I create my own ideas and my own perspectives. And one of the areas that um, I'm, I'm so attracted to is this idea of the human brand, that the brand that we're building is a human entity because at the end of the day, we're connecting with a human it, it, with a human person. Um, so I think everything that we can say about a person in some way, shape, or form, we can say about a brand. And when you look at it from that perspective, it means that because we all have experience in being human, we all have experience to bring to the table when connecting a brand with a person. Because you talk about loyalty. Well, how can we generate loyalty? Or how can we generate love? Well, if I was to ask you, how can you generate love from a person, uh, from one person, from another person? Well, the answer would be simple. You give love to receive love. And if you apply that to, to everything within brand and you just remove the brand aspect to it, then you have all the tools at your disposal because you have the experience as a, as a human. What is your philosophy and idea about this human brand that you know, that the, the brands that businesses are building is is not the visuals, it's not the, the, the messages, it's it's a human entity that we're trying to build up to connect with other humans. What's your philosophy on, on, on human branding? It's a little complicated. Um, and 
most of what you said, I think, is absolutely dead on right. There's a few things that you said, which I think reflect an extremely widespread point of view that was my point of view and is the point of view of just about all the consultants I know who work in this area. It's sort of the established wisdom and is wrong. I think we can demonstrably say that this is wrong. So the the, the, the mistake I used to make um, and is still very widely made, it can be summarized in this nice quote that kind of galvanized all the people. You could almost think of brand love as a movement. There was around brand love, consumer brand relationships. You know, it became this big movement. And one of the, our slogan was, you know, people form relationships with brands the same way they form relationships with people. Mm -hmm. and that's not true. Um, okay. Your brain, every human brain, for extremely important evolutionary reasons, has an unconscious mechanism that sorts everything you see into one or two categories, people and everything else in the universe that isn't a person. And then depending on which category it gets sorted into, you think about these things in different ways. So mm -hmm. uh, people... Uh, and we know this. We do this before the neuroscience. The neuroscience research really confirms this, and you can see it happening. Like you can see someone looking at a picture of a human face and that being thought about in one way, certain parts of the brain lighting up, the fusiform face area of the brain lighting up, and this person looking at a picture of a car and a hmm. different part of the brain becoming active and thinking about that. Okay, so, so 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 talk to me about that part of because this is this is an area that I'm fascinated about. Talk to me about right. that part of the brain and what what's the difference between when we look at a human versus we look at an object and what specifically are the chemicals that are unique to when we look at humans. Right. So um it's so it's a little bit simplistic and one thing I want to sort of avoid. So I brought the topic. It's my fault. I use the example, which is <laughs> that you look at, which is true. You look at a car, it gets processed in one part of the brain. You look at a person as face, it gets processed physically in a different part of the brain. And what's good about that example is it's super clear to everyone. Like, wow, you're thinking about those two things in different ways. Mm. You're always thinking about them in different ways. It, most of the time, it's not because it's in a different physical part of the brain. It's actually because you're using different types of thinking in different neural networks. Um, but some of it, like oxytocin, is a hormone that leads to bonding between people mm -hmm. and sometimes does, as I'll explain in a little bit, lead to bonding between people and objects. But for the most part, you've got this unconscious sorting mechanism. And if it sorts uh, this thing into the person category, then under some situations, you will get oxytocin-based bonding, which is a kind of relationship formation. Now, you mm -hmm. don't form that relationship with every person that you see. So mm -hmm. just being a person by itself isn't enough. But if it's not a person, it's just not going to happen. It's sorted into a completely different category. Mm -hmm. And an easy way to think about this is that we have this word objectification. And we mm -hmm. had that word a long time before uh, the neuroscience came along and showed this, really demonstrated this happening at a scientific level. And the reason we had that word is because people over time just noticed this. It's such a profound part about things that they said, well, to objectify a person means you're thinking about the person the way you normally think about objects. 
And if we unpack this a little bit, we realize, hey, that means there is a way you normally think about objects, and it's different from the way you normally think about people. Uh, and so the neuroscience comes along and says, yeah, that's true. And it's not just a cultural thing. It's not just that you're taught growing up that you have to think about people in different ways. The brain subconsciously automatically makes that sort between these two things and really does think about them in different ways. Hmm. Does that mean you can't love people? Because if you think about to objectify um, people, you know, when they say if you're in a relationship, like if you're typical this is to take a stereotypical moment here. Um, I know that the gender roles can be reversed, but most of the time when it happens, it's like some guy's trying to pick up some woman and she feels he's trying to objectify me, right? He just wants to use me as an object, in this case, a, a sex object. Um, but that same woman in a situation that's more romantic, where there's more love involved, might be very enthusiastic about sexual relationships, where she isn't in this more objectified situation, what she knows at a gut level is that when people are thinking of her as an object, love is not part of that relationship. And mm -hmm. that is fundamentally true. Whenever you see something as an object, the way your brain thinks about objects, love is ruled out. Mm -hmm. So how do we, why do people love some things? Because they do, they love objects. How does that happen? Well, just as most of the time you think about objects, what I call objectified thinking, or let's call it, sometimes you can think about people using objectified thinking, like uh, the woman complaining, he's, he's trying to objectify me, right? That happens. Uh, similarly, most of the time you think about people using what's called social thinking, this sort of different pro thought process that involves different hormones. But sometimes you think about objects using social thinking. So those objects get sort of become honorary people as far as your brain is concerned. Mm -hmm. And even though they're really objects, your brain thinks about them in human ways. And that's the missing secret that brand builders don't know. Mm -hmm. They don't realize that the reason you're spinning your wheels is because you've never gotten the brand out of the object category. Mm -hmm. People's brains are still thinking about it like an object, and so long as that's happening, they're not going to build the kind of relationship you want mm -hmm. uh, with the brand. And that ties into uh, the biggest mistakes that I see in branding, which if I'm to translate that into your language, it's uh, it's business owners objectifying their brand by making it all about the visuals, by making it all about the logo and the website. And when you do that, you're creating your brand as this object, this visual thing that's there. And that's not what real branding is about. And when we think about uh, the need for understanding and the difference there, when we talk about, okay, when you look at a car, you know, there are certain chemicals that go off. When we look at a human, there are different chemicals that go off. But the difference between how we can love a car and how we can love a brand is that there can be dialogue with a brand. And through that dialogue, you can gain understanding from a brand. And we know that with understanding, you know, that releases oxytocin, that releases empathy and that sense of connection. So although brands are intangible, they're 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 inanimate objects, we can bridge the gap between objectification and that human space that we can live in 
to make those connections. Is, is, do you agree with that? And is that what your research tells you? That's exactly right. So yeah. that's exactly right. And that's exactly, and you said, okay, you can get feedback. Like you say something to the brand and then it replies to you, right? It's amazing. You send an email, you get an email back, right? Mm-hmm. It can be very literal in that way. The, the unconscious sorting mechanism that put things, puts things into the category of people or not people, it's an, it evolved. It's a biological mechanism. Um, it's not just in people. It's in all sorts of animals that have certain types of families mm-hmm. uh, do this. But when it evolved, it just wasn't, all, there weren't anthropomorphic machines. There weren't computers. There were any of these kinds of things. And so it's sorting is pretty simple. If something looks physically a lot like a person or if it acts like a person, if you send it messages and it talks back to you, your brain says, hey, that's a person. It doesn't, it stops thinking about it as an object. And that's why that kind of interactivity is one of the best ways to build brand love because it's creating the brain, it's getting the consumer's brain to start classifying this as a person rather than just an object. And so if we go back a minute ago to you're mentioning these person brands. Mm-hmm. Usually what that term refers to are situations in which I there's some human being, I'm, I've, I'm an entrepreneur, right? And people think about my business as me, as a human being, and the, the, I, or I'm an employee and I want to brand myself in a mm-hmm. certain way, right? I do that, right? So some, some people started calling me as a nickname, uh, Instead of Dr. Love, they call me, tease me, call me Dr. Brand Love, right? I'd rather be Dr. Love, but, you know, I'll take Dr. Brand Love. It's, it's, it's as close <laughs> as I'm probably going to get. Um, well, your so niche I've, there, at least, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Love could go in any different direction. <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> I've sort of said, oh, that's, that's funny. I'll, I'll work with that. Um, and I've sort of taken that on as a branding thing. And so I brand myself in that way. So that's a person brand. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, I remain a person. Mm-hmm. I don't become an object. And when people relate to me, they relate to me as a person. Mm-hmm. And if you're an entrepreneur and you're just starting a business, if you've had experience with this, you've probably just realized yourself that what really drives things is people's relationships with you as a person. Mm-hmm. And so that's how things go. So if you think about the fan, uh, the term super fans, mm-hmm. uh, Brittany Hodak, a friend of mine, great person, great thinker, great work. Um, she does a lot of this work with super fans, but if you think about so when you, when that- you say, sorry, just to clarify, when you say super fans, because I know that Pat Flynn has written a book on super fans. Is that what you're talking about in, in, in terms of the, uh, where the, the term was, was coined? So super fan, we, people who are p- people who are super, super passionate about a, a specific brand or, or yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure about the history of it that much. Mm. Um, and so it may go back to, to Flynn, you're saying it may go back before him. Yeah, um, it, it probably really sure. does. But uh, he, he wrote that book probably, I don't know, maybe eight years ago or so. So yeah. I would imagine so the that, term has been around much longer. Right. So that's older. But like what, what Brittany does, she's got a very popular book now um, about making super fans and okay. her personal background is in entertainment so she was all about like getting how to make super fans for musicians mm-hmm. in the music industry and then how do you apply this in other parts of the the business world so but you think about super fans where you ne- normally get those it's in entertainment 
movie mm -hmm. stars, musicians, or sports, which is also entertainment, um, mm -hmm. and sports figures. And those are human beings. That's where people have this, you know, this natural thing because you don't need to convince the brain that that's a person because it is a person already. Mm -hmm. If you want to create that kind of super fan relationship to an organization or a business or a brand, you've got to get them to the brain to start thinking in that same way they might about a, a person. And, and that also applies, you know, I'll give you another example. Um, I do some video editing as, you know, part of promoting myself. And uh, I used to have just a terrible, terrible time with this. Uh, and then I discovered the software that some of your listeners might be familiar with, Descript. Um, mm -hmm. And it helped me a lot. So it was very useful to me. Descript will be transcribing this conversation. Yes. And <laughs> uh, I, for a short time, became like a super fan of that software because it was so useful to me. Mm -hmm. But fairly quickly, my involved my feelings about that faded because it was just this object that I was dealing with. Um, on the other hand, I also recently hired someone, a professional, to help me with some video production. And she, of course, is a human being. And I talk with her as a human being. And when people say, oh, your videos are nice. Um, how do you do that? I always recommend the person. I don't usually bother recommending the software. Mm -hmm. Why? Because like I have a human connection with this human being. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's much more motivating. Our brain is built to be altruistic towards people. Uh, that's sort of a natural impulse. It's not built to be altruistic towards things because there's no ad evolutionary adaptive reason why helping a rock is going to get you anywhere in, in mm -hmm. life, whereas helping a person really is. So that kind of evangelism brand advocacy that people want, that's very much tied to the brain thinking of the brand as a person. Mm -hmm. And just two more quick examples. I've been working with uh, Google on uh, brand love in the consumer electronics space. And uh, also in some of the home appliance spaces. And they said that in terms of brand love, their observation is that there's, in terms of vacuums, you know, a lot of great, mechanically great vacuums out there. Um, but Dyson vacuums have a kind of a passionate following that none of the others do. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of very functional cell phones out there, but Apple has a passionate following that none of the others do. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, what do Apple and Dyson have in common? Well, Apple is Steve Jobs and Dyson has Dyson and people associate them with a human being, mm -hmm. whereas these other companies are just objects. And that's part of the reason that you get that passionate brand love following for those. Mm -hmm. One one of the things you touched on before that really kind of uh, I wanted to jump on at the time, but I, I, I let you finish. I'm kind of glad, glad I did. But it's it's in relation to passions. So when you speak about... Um, when you speak about, you know, super fans being created around sports stars or music stars, they tend to be in and around the spaces that we're super passionate about. And I think that passion, if we're passionate about something and then we, you know, we come across someone or something that helps us to elevate that passion, it's far more 
easy to create a bond with them. Do you think that inanimate brands who aren't personal brands, who aren't people, who aren't musicians or sports stars can help to elevate that by connecting with passions? I'll give you an example. So uh, Red Bull, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great brand. And, and what it does, it's, it's, it sells sugar water. You know, at the end of the day, it sells, sells sugar water. It's, it's, it's got no real business to be talking to us about our lives and how we should live our lives. However, they have done a remarkable job about putting the adrenaline lifestyle on a pedestal and connecting with passions. And in, in doing so, they have elevated their brand to, to, to iconic status. And they have made those emotional connections and made people fall in love with the brand. And I love using that example because that's what branding is all about. It's all about creating a perception. You have a brand here that sells sugar water and they're using a lifestyle to elevate their position and connecting with passions in order to do that. How much do you think passion plays a role in making those connections? Passion is extremely important. and the brand love strategy is not equally advisable for all brands. Mm -hmm. So I know that a, a lot of times, you know, people will expect me to say that, well, brand love is the ideal. Everyone should be striving for that. There are some brands I think are better off because as I've been saying, if you want people to love your brand, you got to get the consumer's brain to, to classify it as a person. Um, that's not the only way to be successful in marketing. Another way to be successful is to say, hey, people are going to classify this as, as an object in their brain. Let's just, that's the reality. Let's deal mm -hmm. with that. And let's win compared with other objects, right? Rather than trying to be like a person. Of course, if you have an oil brand um, or like as in as in motor oil, it's, 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 it's more difficult. If you have a salt brand, it's more difficult to, to, to kind of create those passions. Um, sorry, yes. to put you, sorry to cut you off. Continue. Right, that's exactly right. And so um, so the first thing about passions is that if you're in an industry uh, where people are naturally, at least some people, not everyone, but some people are naturally really passionate about it, brand love is just a lot easier and a much more net, better fit with that than if you're selling something that people don't really care about. Um, that said, there's another part of it. Well, part of it, excuse me a second, go back to that. Part of that is simply that um, in order for to build brand love or super fandom or whatever you want to call it, you have to get people's attention. And it's mm -hmm. a lot easier to get people's attention around sports that they love to participate in than it is to get their attention around, you know, more mundane things. That's part of the answer. This, this is another huge part of this answer, though. And that is that the process of falling in love with some person or thing is at a psychological level, um, the process of making that person or thing part of your identity, part of this extended self of who you are. And that is very fundamentally true. We see that in all sorts of psychological research about interpersonal love, as well as love of objects or brands or what have you. When people are trying to decide if something is part of their identity or make it part of their identity, one of the things they want is an authentic fit with themselves. 
Mm-hmm. So it has to be authentic on on two levels. It has to be authentic for the brand, which means that there's a natural connection between the brand and what it's and what it's connect, you know, the sport or this activity or whatever the passion is. And for Red Bull, that's there because mm-hmm. it's not just sugar water; it's caffeine and taurine and sugar water. Right? <laughs> so, so it's got you know it's got the stimulants and the the stimulants. It makes it makes sense to the brain, to the people that yes, yeah, stimulants, high energy, it fits, it makes sense in those in those other situations. So it seems authentic to the brand. And then the question is, is it authentic to me also as a person? And the way people judge that is through how much passion they feel for it. So mm-hmm. if you feel a lot of passion for one of these extreme sports, um, then you are more likely to say, okay, Red Bull authentically expresses who I am. I want to make it part of my my identity. Uh, So that becomes another big part of how it works uh, in terms of identity and the way identity plays into this. Because those are, in some ways, some of the big lessons um, that I have on brand building that people aren't always aware of. So one, as I said before, is just get people's brain to think about it like a person. But another central pillar of the whole thing is uh, making it part of people's identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I uh, this is something that I've been speaking about for a long time as well because we don't buy brands, we buy into brands, and we adopt brands. We adopt brands who we believe are an expression of our personality. And one of the best examples um, I love. Um, is uh, diesel jeans, um, and again, this is uh, you know you you we talk about Red Bull and and the ingredients in Red Bull, and they have some kind of right to attach themselves to uh, to the adrenaline lifestyle, and and that's right. The you know the connection is there, and with enough creativity, you can create many different connections. Um, and what I love about the the diesel brand is that it's you know it it is all about that extension of identity you know it's all about if you could kind of sum up the diesel brand with with um with an icon or an an emoji it would just be you know the middle finger you know given the middle finger to the the rest of society because it goes against the grain and and people buy into that brand and they do that because yeah they like the style of the clothes it has to tick that box but of course it's an extension of their personality because they have the same fundamental personality traits as the brand. How much do you believe personality plays a role in how much we love a brand? I think it, again, for the kinds of brands that are using a brand love strategy, that are you know trying to create that kind of strong involvement, uh, brand personality is important. Uh, I would say that part of that because people use the word personality in a lot of different ways but part of that is where the brand stands on not just political issues but sort of social issues you mentioned with diesel how the brand personality is sort of giving the middle finger to you know certain mainstream conventions that's you know that's not just a personality, but that's sort of a stand mm-hmm. on on issues that people care about. Yeah. Um, you look at Patagonia, 
uh, they are seen as very authentically, you know, taking a stand on environmental issues in a very authentic way. And that connects with certain groups of consumers very strongly. So brand love is a good fit with mission-driven brands or values-driven brands in particular. Because a lot of times, if you're a mission-driven brand, you're trying to do something in the world beyond just make money, your expenses are going to be higher. That sort of mm -hmm. goes with the territory. And so you need people to pay a price premium for your brand. And brand love is one of the best ways to pay, get people to pay, be willing to pay a price premium mm -hmm. uh, for the brand. Certainly Diesel does that. Um, they're not, you know, like pro-social in all those ways, but they, they get that same kind of uh, an effect. Yeah. So that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with all of this talk of, brand love and all of the questions leading up to this, I guess all of those questions was just the flirting leading up to the question that everybody wants answered, which is how do we make our audience fall in love with our brand? So you can think of this as a three-step process. Right. Step one, I hope is not news to anybody listening to this and that is you have to start with you know quality and performance mm -hmm. nobody falls in love with mediocre brands or brands they perceive to be uh mediocre yeah if you think about when you're dating you you are looking for a, an excellent person that's a big part of what you're looking for and so there's got to be a certain amount of excellence going on there mm -hmm. where i think a lot of people go wrong a lot of brand managers and companies go wrong is they think that that's all there, there is to it. Brand love is like baking a loaf of cinnamon raisin bread. The flour is the main ingredient in the bread and product quality, product excellence, performance is the main ingredient in brand love. So if you don't have that, do not pass go. You're not going anywhere. But just having a bag of flour is not a loaf of bread. You need other ingredients. And just having more quality, adding more flour is not going to turn it into a loaf of bread. So in this analogy, chemistry, enjoyment, user experience, giving the customer a, user, a positive, enjoyable user experience, that's like the cinnamon and the raisins. That's the part of the brand that makes it delicious and creates that attraction to it. But there's another ingredient that people don't think about, and that's the yeast. Mm -hmm. So in this example, the yeast would be getting the consumer's brain to think about the brand as if it was a person. That's not the largest ingredient. The yeast isn't the largest ingredient in the bread, but it activates everything. It makes everything else happen. And similarly, if you don't get the consumer's brain to think about the brand as a human being, it's not going to marketing is going to fall flat, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to rise the way you want. You need other, you and, need other and, Yeah, and, and what you're talking here really is just about table stakes. So if you're turning up to a market for cinnamon bread, the table stakes is that you have cinnamon bread. And I 100% I, I am aligned with everything that you said just before that a lot of business owners think it's enough to just have a product or just have a service. No, that's table stakes. Without that product or service, you simply can't come to the table. Once you're at the table, then you're in the competitive landscape. Right. So that's step one. Step two is chemistry. 
Mm-hmm. So we all know when we're dating, we've all had this experience where you meet someone on a date and you come home thinking, well, that person, quote, looked good on paper, but <laughs> just there wasn't any chemistry there, right? It didn't, it didn't pan out. Uh, There's nothing behind all this. Yes. So looked good on paper. That's kind of the quality, but you need that too. You, so that that's very important. But then there's the issue of, well, what makes for that chemistry? If Again, if you think about a date, uh, what chemistry really just means is were you having a good time? If you go out on a date with somebody and the conversation is easy and you feel happy and you have a really natural feeling good time with the person, you come back and say there was chemistry. And if it was boring and you felt tense and anxious, you come back and saying there wasn't chemistry. Mm-hmm. So what brands need to do is they need to look at the whole consumer journey. And this is the whole consumer experience, user experience part of it, and make sure that there aren't really bad experiences. You get rid of all the pain points and you try and create an experience at the minimum for some brands, the best you're going to achieve is pleasant. For other brands, you can achieve sort of ecstatically wonderful. It depends on your situation, but it's got to, you got to get it at least up to pleasant. So Mm -hmm. that's step two is the user experience. And that's what creates a sense of chemistry. Step three, as you probably guessed, is okay, you got to get their brain to start thinking about this thing as a person. Because if you just have step one and two, you're going to get people to value your brand, but they're never going to connect. They're never going to have this oxytocin-based bonding. They're never going to do any of that stuff. So now you got to get them to connect with it as a person. And there, you can subdivide that process into its own sort of three basic Mm. routes for doing that. So uh, each one of these is very complicated. There's more going on. But simply put, the first way is to sort of disguise it as a person. Get people, it looks like a person. You make it anthropomorphic. So Siri talks to you on your phone. Um, Certain products just physically, they make them look like a person. Cars have like the face, the front, the eye. Headlights are like the eyes. They look like people. So you encourage that kind of anthropomorphization. We're going to see a lot more of that in the future. But currently, that's only done by a small percentage of products and it really doesn't account for most of the brand love that we see out there Mm -hmm. so then what does account for most of it well the second is what uh russell belk has called uh, person thing person relationships and so this is the situation where the brand connects you to another person uh so it could be a, a a gift that they gave to you or it could be uh I love my television set because my friends come over and we watch TV together. So the television set is connecting me Mm-mm. to my friends. A brand community uh, is another great example. Exactly. Brand community is another great example. Once you, in your mind, you start creating a strong association between the brand and a person, and it could be a spokesperson for the firm. It could be the founder of the firm, or it could be a celebrity spokesperson, mm-hmm. or it could be a created spokesperson. Like, uh, you know, an animated character or uh, a, a character that's a scripted character that's filmed live. But mm-hmm. you, and it's got to be some person, whether it's from the person's own life, their friends, or from the company, the spokesperson, some kind of a person that they connected with. So that's mm-hmm. the second main route. The third main route is getting the customer to think of the brand as part of themselves. Because you always think about yourself in these social terms. So if the brand becomes part of the consumer's own identity, 
then they're definitely going to think about it like a person because it's part of them and they're a person. Mm -hmm. So those are the basic three ways. So the three steps are quality first, customer experience second to create some chemistry, and then get the consumer's mind to think about the brand as a person. I love it. I, lo- I love that you you have these these steps in order and and really, you know, it it does tap into the chemicals that we chase as as humans. And when we do make those connections and create those associations, that of course is when you said the brand love can kind of shine. And and like we always use analogies within within branding and marketing. And one of one of my favorite is that marketing is the reason you give your audience to go on a date, and branding is the reason you give them to stick around. But this has been absolutely massively insightful. What is it that you're reading at the moment or where do you think the, the, the area within your zone of genius at the moment is expanding into? So we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, all of the, the neural connections, the neuroscience, the chemicals that are involved in making those connections. What are you exploring at the moment? What's on your horizon that you're working towards that you think in the future is going to be something that becomes more relevant in 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 branding? Well, I'm involved in a very big project now that is about whether all this is good for consumers. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of it's it's more of a business ethics and okay. social context kind of thing. Like, okay, we get people to love brands. Does that help the consumer? Is it neutral? Does it hurt the consumer? What's happening on that end? And so you're so crossing far, over to act- the other side and 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 you're gonna have two perspectives. Yeah, it's fortunately it, it turns out to actually um having a little more love in your life tends to be a good thing. Um it's not always true with, with desiring products. If people are very caught up in, you know, wanting things they don't have, that tends to make them unhappy because you're sort of fixated on things you 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 fail to have. Mm. But uh, if people form a sense of relationship with companies um, or with brands, providing that the company or the is going to treat them right, isn't going to just abuse that relationship, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, it does it does help them feel better about themselves in a, in a positive way. So that's part of what I'm looking at. Mm. Um, I'm also very interested in just building out this idea of what do people need to do to really create brand love um, it, through this three-step process. And a lot of my work, frankly, I, I read basic research. I think most people listening to this would find the stuff I read uh, dense and technical and I, not I, that I don't <laughs> I, I think the, I think the stuff that you're reading would probably light me up. So give me an example. What are you reading? Oh, well, I've been reading. You know, Carolyn Yoon is a neuroscientist who I I, I like, um, and I of course do all the psychology of love. Um, you know, I, a big influence on me was Arthur Aaron and his work on love and identity. Uh, so these are these are kinds of things that I'm I, I'm looking at there uh, I, I think I, I think the- anybody who's in the world of branding because at the end of the day we're about connecting with humans the more you understand about that side of it the the more armed you are to 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 do a better job um where can people get your book I'm not gonna I, I told you I was only gonna have you on for 45 minutes I kept you longer where can people get your book and where can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing or any keynote speaking that you do or anything like that yeah. So 
the best place is if you go to drbrandlove.com. So it mm -hmm. could be all one word, D-R brand love or Dr. Brand love spelled out dot uh, com. That's a, a website that deals with my speaking and there's information there about my book. You can also get the book online just about any place. Um, mm -hmm. At least if you're in North America, I think the limited, the distribution is a little, little more limited in other places in the world. Mm -hmm. But, you know, most of the online booksellers is from a major publisher. Yeah. So uh, it, I was very happy Amazon uh at one point last year, you had it listed as one of the top 20 business books on nice. Amazon. So it's it's not too hard to find. Beautiful. Um, so you're, you're happy with the traction that you've gotten from the book? Yeah. Um, it is selling well. I've got a lot of corporate interest mm -hmm. uh, in this, which is nice uh, to have because there's a lot of future in this work. I, I'm trying to talk to the corporate clients. Um, yeah, well, you see how we can be most applicable there. Well, you're definitely in a good place being known as Dr. Brand Love. You know, there cannot <laughs> be two of those. So I think you've uh, you've solidified your uh, your your niche and, and in a growing space as well. So I think that's uh, that's a, a, a great achievement. Aaron, thank you so much for your time. It's been a really enlightening conversation. Um, if there's anything that you're doing in the future, anything that you want to uh, to, to get out into the world, then then uh, make sure you get in contact with me. And uh, I'm sure our viewers are going to really enjoy this episode. So thank you once again. We really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to learn more brand strategy techniques to level up your skills, make sure you check out brandmasteracademy.com. There's plenty of free resources and premium content for you to download and get you going. If you'd like to join our Facebook group full of like-minded brand strategists, all learning from each other, then find us by searching for the Brand Strategy Community, where you can find exclusive content for members as well. If you enjoyed this content, please be sure to give us an honest review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listened. And make sure you tune in for the next episode of the Brand Master Podcast.